Hello and welcome to The Dirt. This is the podcast that is fond of all different kinds of plants and wants to celebrate them all. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm Sophie, Grow Your Own's content writer. This week we'll be discussing how winter is a transformative time in the garden, as well as the top jobs on the plot for the week. But first, we'll be chatting to Adrian Thomas, the RSPB's wildlife gardening expert. Hello Adrian. Hi both, good to see you. Hello, how are you? How are things in your garden at the moment? The gar- Interestingly, it was only over lunch today that I peered out of the back window while I was munching away uh, and I thought, that's looking rather lovely actually, yeah. um, which is always a nice feeling to have. Obviously the plants are doing it for me, it's not what I've done, it's what <laughs> yeah. the plants are, are doing. But um, I always struggle to pick out my favourite time of year and when I've said it's autumn I then love spring and there's something in the middle of winter when you've got the frost and um, but that's a beautiful thing isn't it when the garden's got so many faces and Mm, you can love them all. Definitely yeah Yeah. and um, I guess obviously we need to ask you as well about your garden wildlife Um, so what have you been doing at the start of this autumn to make your garden very welcoming to the garden wildlife? Ah yes there's always something going on out there I'm seven years into this this garden mm. and when I took it over uh, in and started the work in 2015 uh, I am a very lucky boy I've got an acre of garden wow. and I think my dream plot would be a completely bare field that had been plowed with nothing in it I got kind <laughs> of like the opposite I got the completely overgrown abandoned garden so it oh. did already have lots of wildlife in it but it needed some rescuing mm. and I was more than happy to don my superman suit and uh, <laughs> see what I could do to rescue it so loads of things have happened over the years last year the latest couple of ponds went in I'm up to seven now seven this autumn yeah yeah I'm greedy I really <laughs> love like that it. no that's uh, brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so this year's projects there's always something going on so I'm getting ready for a new hedge going in on the western boundary this winter so there needs to be the preparation uh, for that there's a new area of meadow due to to go in and there's loads of bulbs that are due to be planted in the next four weeks mm. so um it's all getting ready for all of those things at the yeah. moment really exciting um so thinking about what you said about um when you got your garden it was very overgrown and that meant that there was already a lot of wildlife in situ did that make it challenging in terms of you creating the garden that you wanted without being too disruptive to what was already there. Uh, Certainly. Um, uh, And this is a a kind of golden rule that goes from gardening through to housing development. It's kind of like um, when you change something, whether it be in a garden or in the landscape, making sure that you don't destroy something that is of value there already. I had the perfect position that I had a dilapidated house that needed complete renovation. So the first year, 2014 to 15, whilst I did the house, I was able to watch the garden, record what was coming into it, see what grew in it, and follow it over the course of a whole year so uh, that was an extra lucky thing to be able to to do and what was apparent from it is that actually whilst it was a plant filled garden there was a third of the acre was just the suckers from damsons there was nothing but suckering damson there was a line of 32 leylandii along one boundary and the neighbours were absolutely clear that they didn't want that, particularly as two of the 32 were already lying in their gardens. Uh, So um, it it meant that I was able to gauge where I would be able to make gains, and immediately it was apparent that I'd be able to make gains for butterflies because there weren't sunny places, there was 
very little in terms of ground floor there because it was a dark, dingy uh, understory and underneath all of those damsons and the Leylandii, uh, the lack of water meant there were very few dragonflies and damselflies and other pond-loving loving creatures. So it was very useful to be able to make that plan during that first year, spot what was really useful. There were some overgrown uh, fruit trees which could be renovated. Uh, there were plenty of shrubs there that could be re retained um, and, and come up with something that I felt would enhance rather than destroy. Mm. Brilliant. It's, yeah, and it is. It's catering for all, isn't it? When you can try and plan around those things, it's it's just what we need in the garden, really. Um, now, what would you say has been your biggest success so far while working on the acre of yeah. land? <laughs> what, if you could pick something <laughs> or many things. Oh. Oh gosh, yes. Right, Let, let's start this three-hour session. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely, let's Not get going. That it, <laughs> Not that it's been successes all the way, you realise, and, and I'm sure we're going to come on to, to failures as well, but um, uh, I think one of the things I love about gardening is that you can have a whole range of, of mini successes. You know, you, you plant a bulb and it comes up in spring. That to me counts like a success. Yeah, uh, and absolutely. I've got kind of like the plant successes and the wildlife successes. So the, the two go very much hand in hand. So I think if you're okay, I'll, I'll dive straight in with the wildlife things yeah. first. Perfect. But I'm definitely a plant lover. So I'm afraid you're going to get me on the plants as well. <laughs> Good. So, this is what we like to hear. Yeah. In, in wildlife terms, one of the things I inherited was an open air swimming pool or at least it had a big plastic cover over it uh, and I knew that I could improve that for wildlife because it was a total death trap it was it was green algae filled and anything that fell in it couldn't get out of it mm. so there were I was sad to say there were, there were dead creatures in it when I, I took over the garden so I knew that that was a piece of the garden that I could take from death trap to life trap yeah. uh, so turning that into a pond so um I Emptied, emptied the pond, got rid of the fiberglass lining, and then expanded it out. It was only a little swimming pool that you'd get from one end to the other in one stroke. So it wasn't huge at all. But by expanding those margins and putting really shallow margins and beaches around the outside, I now have a pond in the garden that's eight metres long by 15 metres wide. Wow. Um, uh, my mum calls it a lake. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it's directly viewable from, from the back window. I put in it that I built an island in the middle of it, like a chimney of bricks that I filled with cobbles. That's my island in the middle. And in the middle of that, as well as planting some irises, I put uh, a stick in the middle. And I called it my kingfisher stick. Now, I ought to explain here, I'm in the middle of suburbia. So um, I'm 200 metres from a dual carriageway. I've got houses all the way, way around me. But I called it my kingfisher stick just for a joke to say, I want a kingfisher to come and perch on that. Mm. Amazingly, kingfishers have come most autumn. Into <laughs> wow. the I don't know how they make it over all the houses, or but it, it just shows one of the golden rules of wildlife-friendly gardening for me, which is what you're not doing is you're not trying to somehow magically attract wildlife from somewhere else and send out amazing signals that something three miles away goes, oh, I've got to go to that garden. Mm. What you're relying on is the fact that wildlife is roving around the countryside all the time looking for a home. So I see your job as a wildlife-friendly gardener to create the conditions that when they happen to pass, by chance, they stop. Yeah. So if I didn't have a pond in my garden, kingfishers are probably on occasion passing over the garden, mm. but they see no reason to stop. Yeah. But I've now given them a reason to stop. And um, 
Uh, I quite like that. It's it's kind of like being the inn on the highway. Yeah. If you're if you're on the highway and there's no inn, there's no reason to stop. But if you see a great inn, then you've you've got that indication that I could sleep there, or I could find some food there, or I could find a drink there. Yeah. Um, and I th I think that's what it's about with with wildlife. It's it's um giving them that. Oh, I've just found paradise. I'm going to stop here a while. Yeah, I love that. Like a safe haven for them to sort of drop by. And oh, I really, I, I mean, I'd, if I saw a kingfisher in my garden, I think I'd probably throw a party to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to see one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on on the subject of that, if there's listeners who would like to add a pond-like environment to their garden, but may perhaps have a smaller space, what would you recommend for still being able to offer some of that, some of those benefits to their local wildlife? On that theme, I think I'm, I'm going to, to mention, I don't want to take us on a downer, but <laughs> nature is in a bit of a crisis here. We've got a nature crisis, we've got a climate crisis, they are coming together and I'm, I'm very passionate uh, about the fact that I'm now old enough, I know I still look very young to you on the screen here, but um, I'm old enough to, my, my childhood garden, back in Worcestershire um, had things like uh, lesser spotted woodpecker and turtle dove and spotted flycatcher coming into it, all of which are now red listed. Turtle dove declined in the UK 98% in the last 30 or so years. And we're seeing so many species decline. As a child, I would have never have thought that house sparrows and starlings could become threatened species. I struggle still after seven years to get starlings to come in my garden because there just aren't enough of them around yeah. to, to want to do so. So what that leads me to is um, not only are we in a crisis, but the great thing is that as gardeners, we genuinely can have a positive effect. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have said that 20 or 30 years ago because the, the perception was that the wildlife that you got in a garden was common garden wildlife. That was the term that was given to it. Mm. So why would you want to save it? We now know that gardens can provide a home for some really threatened and declining species. And no matter the size of your space, you can play your part in that. So I've gone a long way around your question, which is what, what you should do if, if you don't have space for a great lake in your, in your garden like I do. I think you can still be ambitious knowing that you really can have an effect. Mm. So I would say that most gardens have got the space for a little pond. And if you can have water in the garden, water is fantastic. So that's your starting point. And it could be a bird bath and it could be um, uh, an upturned dustbin lid. But if you can move to a pond that has plants in it, then you're suddenly taking it from being a drinking and bathing place mm. to being a drinking, bathing and living space yeah. for so much wildlife. And I've, I've made a lot of ponds in my time and I've made them to all sorts of scales. And I think the thing that's always amazed me a 15 meter by eight meter pond took me a whole autumn to dig and I dug it by hand and, and wow. my muscles were huge, but my uh, uh, exhaustion was uh, complete by the end of it. <laughs> but a little pond that is like two foot by one foot wide, you can dig it in an afternoon, mm -hmm. really can. Uh, and you can have a completed pond in, in that time. So that's what I'd urge your folk. Yep, the golden rule, get some water in. But if you can move to the point where that water has got plant life in it, and plants are so much the bedrock of all of our ecosystems, plants, water equals life. Yeah, that sounds great. And sounds like a very doable project as well. It does. It does. <laughs> I, I know my next door neighbour created one a little while ago and that seemed to be going really well. So she's not looked back. So and I think she made that by picking up a a bit of a I think a like a big 
pond molded sort of pre-molded pond just outside somebody's house that they were getting rid of so mm. you can really find whatever you know you just might be lucky and it might be a sign to give nature a helping hand as well yeah. so yeah. yeah 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 my upturned dustbin lid is the most popular bath i've got in the whole garden oh really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh. they will use it the um all the ponds to come and get in the dustbin lid together <laughs> oh oh, I oh. That's sort of lovely to know, though, isn't it? Yeah. Gives another meaning to the one man's trash is wildlife's treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, sorry, I realised we segued your successes a little bit there. Coming, oh. back, to, coming back to your successes. <laughs> oh, yes. mm. Yeah, that, that, there have been plenty of wildlife successes, and I, I'm so delighted about, about, you know, the ponds immediately bring in uh, the dragonflies of multiple species and damselflies, and the opening up of the habitats means that I've had 24 species of butterfly now come through the garden, wow. including some species that are really quite rare breeding. I have purple hair streaks up in a, a young oak tree. Uh, I've had small blue butterfly, which really is a, uh, a very rare species breeding because I've planted uh, its food plant, uh, wow. which is kidney vetch. That's the only thing that its caterpillars feed on. And that's where nature can sometimes require a little bit of knowledge to go with it. You can put the basics in, you can grow loads of plants, you can put in the water, you can have your deadwood features, but sometimes that little bit of extra information is really critical. You know, brimstone, that, that spring butterfly that emerges and it's uh, kind of electric yellow as the males float through the countryside, but they can only breed successfully if the females can lay their eggs on either older buckthorn or purging buckthorn. If they haven't got either of those two shrubs, then you won't be perpetuating the next generation right. within your garden. You might still see brimstones in your garden, but it's only because somebody else has got those yeah. shrubs. Yeah. Um, so um, it's always good to like do something for a reason and then that translates into your success that you have. Yeah. 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 That's that's a great point. And I think a good excuse for everybody to get researching the types of wildlife that they're interested in as well. Like, oh, if I want to see this in my garden, how do I give it a chance of making that happen? And the it's what I call their home needs. Each species has its own little suite of home needs, just as we have our, our yeah. particular home needs. And, um, you know, I, I've got a wonderful population of stag beetles in the garden, which require typically uh, deciduous uh, logs, uh, old wood and they love it buried because the the grubs the um the larvae then live underground for four five six even seven years before they emerge wow. gradually chewing away on dead timber underground it's not a great childhood to have is it but it's what they need <laughs> if it's what they enjoy <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever floats your boat yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In terms of plants, shall I, shall I, shall I flip on to, to plants because oh, like yeah. growing plants? Yeah. Um, successes for me, I didn't, uh, I, I started my, let's call it wildlife gardening journey, yeah. as that's <laughs> the modern term, um, maybe 20 years ago. It's probably 20 years that I've been doing it. The, the first time I was able to call a, a patch of ground my own, that's when I, I leapt straight into it. So I didn't come into it feeling that I was in any way a pedigreed gardener at all. And the thing that I thought was really difficult was growing things from seed. I thought you had to be green fingered and there were special skills and you could see the books and read the books about how you do it. But I thought, surely I, I can't, can't do that or it'll be a little bit beyond me. And now to look around the garden and see all the stuff that has been grown from seed and working for the RSPB, I can't claim that my pay packet is particularly large. So I haven't got massive amounts of money to go out and buy plants. So to be able to do that and to go and collect seed from 
the countryside sparingly, of course, you only need a few seed in order to do so, but to do that and for each of those plants now to have a memory of a, a beach or a wood or uh, somewhere where those plants came from and then to see them prosper mm. and to, to be able to uh, nourish and uh, have them um, just develop into stands of plants, which themselves have a greater effect for wildlife than if you have just one of each dotted around. I think that probably ranks as the thing that just gives me a, that little warm fuzz inside of knowing that so much of the garden has come from seed, growing things in a way that I thought needs to be the, the realm of the specialist. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so lovely. And I also think that's probably something that everybody can relate to, that when you start growing, it feels impossible that any of this is going to come from this tiny little seed and what have you got to do and you've got to give it the absolutely perfect conditions and things and then I think um I think as as we've often said on here the beautiful thing about plants is they really want to grow don't they so I think um but yeah I think that's that's really lovely and I think as you say being able to weave them into a bigger part of well the, the ecosystem in general is um is really lovely but we don't only talk about positives on this podcast we want to I'm reluctant to say dig right in but everything is a pun in gardening so let's do it um into the other side of the coin and say what have been some of your memorable disasters has anything uh funny or ridiculous or annoying happened (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um oh gosh where to start this could be quite a long piece as well couldn't it um it's interesting you're talking about plants want to grow i always work on that basis they want to so it's then still a surprise how many things i managed to kill uh, <laughs> uh, and i think uh, the the uh, the kind of thing that i take from that always because i never get upset about it is you're learning all the time and you're yeah. learning what different plants want and you're learning how your garden copes with things and um sometimes it just seems that plants don't particularly fancy it there mm. in your garden and yeah. i happily move on to something else what are there how, how many is it that rhs lists seventy thousand different plant types that you could potentially grow in your garden well there's 69,000 I've still got to go on that so uh, uh, yeah I'm happy to move on yeah. I think one of the um interesting things in uh I, I have a day job with the RSPB I'm a project manager and I help set up new nature reserves and things like that and then it's in my spare time that I do all of the um uh, fronting of their wildlife gardening work for them which is lovely but it means that I'm, I'm out there in in front of the the public a lot of the time giving talks writing articles telling them how if you put up such and such a nest box or plant such and such a plant so uh, in my garden I was very keen to try all sorts of nest box and not just your bog standard sparrow and blue tit nest boxes mm-hmm. I thought right this is a garden where I can experiment with all sorts of things and I'll do that with nest boxes as well and I'll put up bat boxes and so um I put up uh, a kestrel nest box. I wow. thought it was a long shot to get kestrels in the garden, but I thought I might as well. Why, why not? Why not try it? Um, to my surprise, my kestrel nest box was colonised by wood pigeons. <laughs> they are not a whole nesting nest box nesting species, and yet thought that this was fantastic. I should have put wow. up a nest. Probably box. thought you'd put up a hotel just yeah. for them. It's like a luxury house. <laughs> 
to see them peering out from inside it they look so so happy and um i put, put it a long way up uh, up a tree so um i put another one in thinking well okay the woodpecker can have that one i'll put it up this one was colonized by stock doves <laughs> which is like the 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 rather cute uh countryside cousin of the wood pigeon isn't meant to really be in a suburban location like mine but found it and used it so no kestrels so there's my failure um but um i was very pleased with my stock dove and i was kind of not so pleased with the wood pigeon but yeah let's say fair yeah. it liked it and yeah. i mean you still offered wildlife a home so that's exactly. <laughs> i mean yeah. although i know there will be a lot of listeners who uh probably struggle with welcoming wood pigeons to their plot for feasting on their kale and things like that <laughs> indeed yes um, but i mean that's just showing give them a beautiful nest box and then they might live there and leave your kale alone i don't know <laughs> and the nest box is still there should the kestrels ever want it i'm sure they could oust the current occupants yeah i also feel like it's going to be uh looking quite quite in demand now the kestrel might be looking at it thinking i need to get in on this this seems yeah <laughs> indeed yeah and, and there's a ready supply of sticks already in there so it doesn't yeah. have to do a lot of building when it when it moves in yeah um, so uh, the, these things are, are a good game of experimentation uh, yeah. i think i think my my other i'm going to do the failure in inverted commas mm. is seven years ago i set out a seven-year plan <laughs> by which stage i thought all of the major infrastructure in the garden all of the big projects would be done that's now a nine-year plan <laughs> and again I, i'm i'm really quite pragmatic about it because whilst i'm enjoying it mm. then who worries whether you've hit your targets or not we'll leave that to governments to worry about those kind of exactly of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so um i'm more than happy and i'm also obviously the fact is a garden is is never finished anyway no. so who knows what happens after nine years i may have some new project that comes forward and i think i've got to do that so um uh i, I think that being zen in the garden is quite easy isn't it because the garden encourages that in you yeah. so uh i haven't yeah i certainly haven't given myself a hard time over that and yeah it gives me more great projects to do in the future yeah, yeah exactly and i think it really highlights as well that it's it is a living thing and as much as we can influence what we can we don't in any way actually control it so it has its own plan in a way as well doesn't it yeah absolutely um now we must ask you along sort of your gardening journey your wildlife gardening journey um <laughs> are there any tips or hacks or sort of advice you could give us that you just from things you've picked up along the way really and you think might be beneficial for our listeners to sort of magpie <laughs> yeah 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 good question uh, and my mind has gone two places two very different places Ooh. one is like the big picture and one is like the little things so let, let's go big picture first and yeah I, I think the big thing in my mind is if we go back again, sort of 20 years, wildlife friendly gardening was a little bit niche, uh, a little bit oddball. And it's been lovely to see how over that time it's gone mainstream, really. You can't get a Chelsea show garden without them talking about the wildlife within it. Yeah. I think one of the big thing that, things that has emerged in wildlife friendly garden is if you went back 20 years, those few people who were doing it might be allocating a little bit of the garden probably the bit they didn't want to do anything with, the bit behind the shed, that's my wildlife space because it's not 
my part of the garden where I do all the other things. And I think one of the, the big lessons in, in the last 20 years has been that wildlife friendly practices can be incorporated throughout the garden. So I have a large vegetable plot and we try to be self-sufficient from about June through to the, the, the following spring. We're trying to go 12 months, but not quite succeeding. But wildlife can still have a place there. Yeah. I have bits where I grow beautiful flowers. I'm, I'm intoxicated with flowers, yeah. but I choose them also to be good for wildlife at the same time. And wildlife friendliness can be incorporated throughout the garden, up your house walls, up your fences, in the compost area. Um, and realizing that it's not about either or, it's not about um, wildlife gets one bit and we get the rest. Yeah. To me, that feels like a, a great lesson for the whole planet. It's not, let's give wildlife a little bit and humans will have uh, all the rest of it. We need to find a way, we're part of nature after all, to, to be part of and let nature be part of all our lives. So I think mm. that that's quite a, a big shift that I think people are, are realizing. I don't use the term wildlife garden mm. anymore. I have a garden. And that garden I have many functions for yeah, relaxing, yeah. entertaining, and for wildlife. On that kind of like smaller level of, of little things, those things that you kind of learn along the way. It's uh, at the moment, the RSPB's got a, a project called Nature on Your Doorstep that's running, which is trying to engage mass audiences mm -hmm. with things that you can do in your garden. And this autumn, for example, they, they came to me and said, What, what could you advise, Agent, that people might be able to do? And with People, so many people being cash strapped and time strapped and often energy strapped at the same time. My mind went into what things could people do that mean they're not having to spend a lot of money or could even be saving money. Um, and one of the, the things that I love is a, a dead hedge. You hear loads about log piles and create a log pile. But many people don't have logs, but what they do have are prunings. And then yeah. it's a case of what do I do with that pruning? Do I Do I shred it? Well, I need a shredder for, for that and I need a lot of time to do it. Do I put it in the green bin? Well, that quickly overfills and then somebody's having to come and collect it and it's causing road miles and stuff. And this idea that um, actually putting all your sticks and your prunings into a pile, hem it, hemming them in, doing something creative with them mm, if you yeah. want to, can be just as good for wildlife as a log pile. Indeed, the little gaps in between it are much better places of things like robins and wrens and dunnocks mm. to nest and feed in than when you have a log pile where the gaps are rather too too large for them. Yeah. So dead hedge, I'd love to see the dead hedge really rise up uh, in people's minds as, as an option of things they can do. And I've seen some where the artistry that's gone into them has just been beautiful, where the outside is kind of woven together and people just let their creativity wow. run wild with it. So. Go dead hedge, yeah. that's what I yeah. say. Yeah, we need to get that trending. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see it on the social yeah. media platforms. Um, so where can any listeners who want to find out more about that campaign, where can they um, find some information about that? It's I'm, th I'm thankful to say it's all over the RSPB website. All you need to do is do a web search on uh, RSPB Nature on Your Doorstep, and it'll come up. It's got dozens of activities that you can drop into. They tell you exactly what to do, little videos to, to show you how, uh, and very much uh, holding in mind that people don't have a lot of time and don't have a lot of, of money. Mm. So trying to make them really accessible things that people can do, and it covers things from dead wood and dead stick materials to nest boxes, but also what to grow, how to put in a pond, all the range of things to help you make your garden wildlife friendly yeah brilliant. that sounds great yeah and um, I think as well just coming back to what you were saying about um having a section for wildlife or just your whole garden being um welcoming to wildlife I think another thing that um 
perhaps people think is it's going to create more more work you're going to need more time to do that I would actually say personally it really leans into my tendency to be quite a lazy gardener in that um now I don't make a huge amount of effort to keep my garden especially tidy because I'm thinking actually that's really beneficial for the wildlife so I think there's also a thing of not making it feel like you're going to have to put loads more time in you may actually end up saving time in some areas where something you might have been meticulously clearing every last bit and getting rid of every last leaf and twig and actually that's really very unnecessary yes yes and I think there's a, there's an interesting nuance here because um, not being too clinical in mm. your garden is obviously great for wildlife. For those people who want a really smart looking garden, then wildlife friendly gardening is still for them as well. Mm. You can still garden, you can still have symmetry um, if you have a longer area of lawn, but you want to mow tight lines around it or beautiful paths through it. The garden can still look fully tended mm. and fully in intended as well as tended and can still be good for wildlife and and that's the beautiful thing really it's um it's a case that whatever your gardening style wildlife friendly practices can be incorporated uh, within it if you're absolutely passionate about plants great choose the ones that are great for wildlife and that you love and you can have the uh, a brilliant effect for it so um i, I think it's that realization in in the past it would have been um, a a purely clinical garden yep that's gone too far in terms of just removing anything mm. that uses chemicals and um, pesticides um, and tries to get rid of wildlife wherever it is then that, that's obviously mm. not very good but a wildlife friendly garden and a beautiful garden yeah. are still compatible yeah and yeah. I, I think as well things that you were saying about the dead hedges and stuff that can be a really beautiful feature it doesn't have to I think sometimes people think of, you know, dead stems and leaving things in situ as it's going to look scruffy. It really doesn't have to. I think there's a lot of sort of architectural beauty to be had in, I mean, we look at it now in the autumn winter garden. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really exciting that people can do it in so many different ways now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we know, we know that, <clears throat> um, you know, if you leave leaves lying on your lawn that's not going to be great for the lawn but it doesn't take a lot of time just to rake them up and shunt them under a bush somewhere yeah. they're going to do a great job there but you haven't had to spend oodles of time bagging them up and um or sucking them up with a with a vacuum cleaner and all of those kind of things it's um uh wildlife friendly garden allows so many different approaches to suit you as a gardener Want, want a really beautiful symmetrical garden? Just choose your plants well and that's going to be great for the pollinators and will satisfy them. Want a garden that looks like it's gone to seed a little bit, that looks like it's really wilded? Then that'd be good too. And that diversity of gardens is one of the things that makes our garden environment such a great place for wildlife. Yeah, and I suppose as well, that's the thing where you're catering for a lot of different species because no two, say in a street, there aren't going to be each neighbour isn't going to be gardening in exactly the same way. So I suppose every garden will offer something slightly different as well. Yep, yep, spot on. And I think the thing there, the key word in all of this is gardening, because those people who get out into their garden and garden and enjoy the process of growing things and tending things, the gardens that don't work for wildlife are where the living space has been replaced by dead space, whether that be concrete or... Um, 
patios or plastic grass or those kind of things. So uh, the more that we encourage gardening, the more that wildlife will benefit automatically on the back of that. And um, then just to finish off, we would like to know if you look back at your your seven years in your current garden what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned <laughs> um biggest lesson to try and think of something that will help folk out there because because like the first thing that came into my mind was the endless pleasure that i get is my own personal lesson from it but the thing that i think is springing to mind that may help folk is the kind of just do it message there are several things where i've waited for the perfect moment to do it in the garden or thought i don't have the time to do it and then when i've just gone and done it it's it's happened and it's been quicker than i thought and the results have been uh well i've just benefited from those results because then i've been able to enjoy them over the longer period when they've done and it's something such as planting a a tree. Uh, I did get in and plant a lot of those early on and to see them seven years on now looking like trees and feeling like trees and swaying around and hosting wildlife and and just being, um, my babies have grown up in the garden. (laughs) And you know, they're ready to leave home or they would if they could, but um, (laughs) um, yeah, don't wait for the perfect moment. Just get that out there and do it, and you'll probably love the process, and you'll get all the more benefit as a result. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That. Definitely, I think as well the fact that there's never, um, I mean, as this mad summer that we've just had proves, because no, no two years are ever the same. You don't actually always know what the perfect moment's going to be. The perfect moment doesn't necessarily exist. So, yeah, I Indeed. think get out there and enjoy it is a really great message. Yeah. 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 I'm going to throw one more in, if, if I may, which is course, biggest yeah. lesson. We're probably harking back to the kingfisher at the start. That kingfisher <laughs> stick was was only a joke. It, I had no expectation that that would happen. But um, you hear build and, and it will come in terms of the wildlife thing. Uh, and I'm just more and more convinced the more I see wildlife is on the move. It's looking for a home. It's in ever more need of a home. Mm. So if you provide it, no guarantee that the kingfisher will come but something will come yeah. and you'll have helped something and when i look at the range of things that i've i've seen in my garden using habitats that i've helped nature create in, in a way you know we've done it in partnership together uh the results just have given me such joy to see wildlife then sharing my space mm-hmm. um, yeah i really yeah. like that and you That's know lovely. i just find this in this interview has been just a big bout of inspiration for me because you know I'm kind of in the mood to like go and look rethink everything and you know just just start putting more things in really and for make wildlife. a pond and make a pond yeah. my my top thing I want to do but never have yeah. <laughs> so I don't know where to put it and I don't know if I have permission so. <laughs> we'll find a way yeah <laughs> Just do it. What could yeah. possibly go wrong? Exactly. Lots, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. As long as wildlife's happy, you know, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take the consequences. Uh, you will enjoy that pond as much as the wildlife does. I guarantee yeah. you that there is yeah. something so relaxing. Mm. Ripples, reflections and wildlife. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really great chatting to you. Um, but we will let you get back to your garden now 
And Sophie, shall we hear a few words from our sponsor? Yeah, thank you very much, Adrian. Well, let's go. DC Thompson Shop has a wide range of garden plants, accessories and gifts. Save up to 50% with many collections. For a garden that takes care of itself with effortless, low-maintenance plants, the shop has lots of popular bulbs, bedding plants and ground cover perennials too. For real garden enthusiasts, there is a choice of more unusual varieties. However green your fingers, there is something for everyone. Visit dcthompsonshop.co.uk and place your order today. Hello both, you okay? Hey. Yes, yes, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, feeling all right. It's actually quite, I'm quite warm in here in this room, actually. It's quite warm and toasty. It's <laughs> quite a nice day. Outside, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I feel like we're at that weird time of year where, like, it's warm in this building because there's lots of computers and stuff in it. Yeah. But at home, I've been finding that thing where you're at the point of the year where, like, I go out for a lunchtime walk. Yeah. And it's warmer outside than house. yeah <laughs> actually yeah when I get up in the morning I reach for a blanket straight mm. away just to just to keep the heat in because I'm not putting my heating on yet as you know no obviously but yeah so um what's your story for this week Laura um I don't really have a story in so much as uh I cleared the garden mm-hmm so oh. that's the story. <laughs> Were there well, key accessible. key objectives that you had to? Yeah, and I definitely haven't achieved them all yet. But I think it made me think, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about. It really made me think of the transformative moments in the garden. And there was something really lovely about, even though it's been a weird year, which I know we've talked about a lot. And there's been certain things that haven't worked at all. There have been things that have been really productive. There's been, you know bits and pieces going on all over and there was something about um I pulled up my bean plants and I sowed some green manures and I mean as as I believe I touched on last week Figgy (laughs) hasn't been pruned yet because uh still in leaf but I'll keep you updated yeah um but it was there was something really lovely about right it's been a good season we've had a enough tomatoes to sink a battleship and just the sort of I'm not going to say putting the garden to bed because you know I have sowed some things for winter as well but just that sort of moment where you take you take a moment to sort of appreciate what's happened that year and you start thinking about what you want to grow next year and getting the garden prepared and I think it's a really lovely I mean harking back to what we were saying on the last episode about liking the seasons I think there was just something really mindful and lovely about yeah. that process. And it kind Definitely, of made yeah. me want to ask both of you, what would you say you feel are transformative moments in the gardening season for you or the general outdoors seasons? I mean, you've got to say the when you start to see a, like a flurry of seedlings popping up through the soil you do yeah. you really get that feeling of spring yeah. is on the way and that oh, excitement yeah um that's quite when it's strong all possible yes mm-hmm. yes and Very yeah exciting. you feel like you're going to be inundated with every harvest possible in a few months time and <laughs> yeah. that's that's yeah. amazing what about yeah. you Sophie yeah I think definitely that I mean that feeling is the best when it comes to gardening but I think also like I mean quite a few weeks ago now I I cleared my vegetable bed and 
it was really quite like it's kind of sad because you're kind of pulling everything up like you've done you've served <laughs> me so well this year and you know but also it's kind of that sense of like wow all of this I've achieved this year like yeah this has all come from the tiny seeds I planted at the start of the year or midway through the year and and can I just say that squash plants are absolute beasts I mean <laughs> I literally was pulling yeah. them up like oh my goodness they're huge but so amazing that they've come again from a tiny little yeah. seed but don't yeah. you think actually that so many things in life you can achieve and do well in but you don't really and I'm very guilty of this you don't really reflect yeah mm. whereas the actual clearing of the garden in autumn you kind of have to reflect because yeah. you're faced with what you've grown yeah. what you've planted in the ground and mm-hmm. what you're yeah. pulling up and like you were saying that like you kind of do have that relationship with some of these plants so you think oh you were really productive and oh yeah. you didn't yeah. do so well but it gives you that ultimate chance to just look back on what you've done and I think as well even things that aren't necessarily to do with the actual plants but like when I was pulling my beans out you know that I said that to try and combat my slugs that eat my beans every single year um I built a little wooden barrier and put copper tape over it and it was a real like Frankenstein DIY project (laughs) yes putting that in the shed was it kind of gave me a little laugh that like oh that was really funny the day that we made that like that was a nice a nice memory yeah. as cheesy yeah. as it sounds and also I know I've mentioned this to you both earlier but um I was uh talking some cross pod stuff here but I was listening to the brilliant off menu podcast at the oh, same yeah. time and I mean as well as being mindful in the garden I was also in hysterical laughter in the garden <laughs> oh, so this is like always nice a good background yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah background just listening. as you say the like the actual seeing everything that has come before in the past year and shows you what's possible in the following year and probably I mean I don't know if it made you think when you were pulling stuff up like oh I love that variety I'll definitely do that again or Mm. oh I've seen a different variety of that thing that I really want to try next year and I think it's um I think it's a real opportunity in a fast-paced world to slow down a bit yeah. And I just it really hit me that that was just really lovely. Yeah. So yeah, not so much a story as that, but there you go. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, sort of. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if this particular person's reflecting on the season he's had, or perhaps the next one if he's just moved in. Apparently, England footballer Jack Grealish um, has moved into a 5.6 million countryside mansion, and he's intending on growing his own vegetables in nice. what is, I'm sure, an ample mm. garden. Yeah. Um, so yeah, perhaps Jack, if you're listening, by some chance <laughs> come on the pod come on we're, we'd you know. love to hear about how you fit in your veg growing around your footballing yeah. commitments yeah yeah exactly how how does he manage it all I'm not sure does the groundsman give you tips <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's it you know I it's just a hobby that I think some people surprise you that they would take it up, but um, apparently as well, he's got um, a mini orchard. Oh wow! Um, nice. You know this this new place has has got got it all, so he'll be well set up for a for a fantastic season in twenty twenty three. So, you know, any any if he needs any tips, if he needs a yeah. you know a little bit of a boost on on our podcast, <laughs> you know where to come, Jack. We you might know be where. Need, yeah, we might be needing his tips. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> no joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's so lovely though like you're saying that there's probably a lot of people that you don't expect to grow fruit and veg that don't fall into the bracket of Mm. what you imagine you know imagine the good life 
in your head and it just goes to show that now it's such a far-reaching wide-spanning hobby that it yeah. touches everybody I would definitely say as well maybe even in the last five or ten years people have a different mentality towards growing fruit and but I think young, yeah. younger yeah. people have a different mentality I think perhaps you know in decades gone by it might have been seen for some some people that would only do that say if they were retired or they had more time on their hands but as people are learning more and more that you can grow on a balcony or a windowsill or you don't have to spend all your time doing that but mm. you can still get great results people that have got busier schedules are picking it up and we're seeing that change in the magazine aren't we which yeah. is really exciting yeah yeah absolutely. so Share yeah. the gardening love, everybody. That's it, that's it. Um, now, you know, I'm harping on again, but <laughs> um, I did, I, I mentioned last week that a diamond had been found in a garden in the yes. 1980s. And, uh, you know, I just happened to stumble across another news article on the BBC website. Right. Um, and this one is actually based in Portugal. Right. Um, so... The fossilised skeleton of an extremely large dinosaur. <gasps> They're thinking it could be the biggest one ever found in Europe, but no confirmation on that yet, has been discovered in a Portuguese garden. Oh, oh my gosh. Which I think is amazing. Oh, that's even cooler than the diamond. And it's making me think, Laura, that bone you found in your garden. Did I mean, you get that yeah. analysed? <laughs> it, yeah. it was not a large bone, but it could have been a tiny little bone. It could have been a toe. <laughs> yeah. It could have been. Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, in a, it's incredibly exciting. However, you must your garden must have been destroyed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. They must have insisted on digging everything up. This is it. Well, it sounds as though um, the, the piece of land was actually... Um, work was being done on it I think for a house renovation right. or something along the lines um and obviously they were digging up a lot of ground and they'd obviously seen something and and they think that this dinosaur had actually laid in its fallen position like it hadn't which is really mm. rare um usually they're sort of a bit you know not not completely in perfect form according to the articles but you know um this one's kind of all still there as it was intact um it's thought to be around 150 million years old that's and so cool. Yeah. Um, Am I going to be a pain in the bum asking you to pronounce what sort of dinosaur right. it is? I, I did wonder <laughs> if you might ask this. <laughs> Out of curiosity. Um, I'm going to say it's pronounced sauropod. Okay. Oh. And apparently sauropods were the biggest of all dinosaurs and the largest land animals to have ever lived. Oh, why have I never heard of them? I then? know. Were they carnivores? This is, I, what, oh mm. my goodness. You know when things like break down in the soil, what does dinosaur give your ground in nutrients? <gasps> oh, some special, special growing properties. Yeah. Didn't we mention dinosaur water once on one of our Oh, yeah, that episodes? we've all drunk some dinosaur yeah. water because dinosaur water is everywhere. And would dinosaur water produce even bigger crops? So what would dinosaur <laughs> bone mulch do? Wait, could um, you call it a mulch if it's underground? I don't know. A, a compost, an activator. A comp yeah, there we go. <laughs> but when um. I hear stories like this, all I think is, what else is buried Mm. under the ground loads of stuff where we where we sit right now there <gasps> could be a dinosaur there could be anything yeah. oh my goodness we just don't know do we yeah that's so cool or in, in the ocean like it, like yeah it's just i like to know things and i it it <laughs> both fascinates and frustrates me that i'm not yeah. gonna know yeah you know and also yeah. some of the stuff that will have been here that's just completely gone mm. broken yeah. down 
this is it. And, you know, it did get me thinking, like, this is an extremely cool thing to find in your yeah. garden. I mean, I would be chuffed if this was found under my garden. Yeah. So what would you like to find in your garden? <laughs> if, you, if you could <laughs> dig up anything, and I know there are so many options here, maybe... A briefcase full of many pounds. I would mean, yeah. say that the diamond and the dinosaur are pretty, uh, yeah, both pretty Top good. I, w- I would also say that from a personal interest point of view, you know, if I could dig up some like Viking memorabilia. Yes. Yeah. Because I definitely really want cool. to be a Viking. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, you know, but obviously if you turn up to the bank with a briefcase full of <laughs> ground money, <laughs> we're going to be like, where on earth have you got that from? And it's obviously someone else has left it there, so some no, criminals may be after you. you. This is where my mind goes. Yeah, I would definitely think it was a setup of some sort, yeah. so I wouldn't be trusting that one perhaps. Yeah, or like I, as a child, I always wanted to find like Roman coins and things. Oh, yeah. yeah, see, something historical yeah. would be amazing, I think. That yeah. would be really cool. And like you say, just that little piece of history that, that's yours now and you yeah. can keep that. And also, could it potentially be a piece of history that's small enough that your whole garden doesn't have to be dug up? Exactly. That, yeah, that would be preferable, wouldn't it? Like, well, have a it, Viking underneath. <laughs> if some really fancy company would go, well, like, we're going to dig this dinosaur up, but we'll like give you a whole brand new garden in return. But also, sure. part of me is like, <laughs> I understand that it's history and it's important and people need to see it but also like it's the dinosaurs resting yeah leave my dinosaur in the earth please it's yeah it's under my my watch now yeah fascinating it's so fascinating yeah i like that a lot yeah i love that history right there under the ground and also it kind of makes you think i mean i'm not saying dinosaurs because i'm not sure that their grasp on horticulture would have been great but in terms of historical stuff in the garden, like how many people have grown plants where you're growing plants? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good and like point. what was growing in your garden or where your garden is 200 years ago even, not even yeah. really, really far back. It, yeah, I would love to know. Or even the kind of plants that have become extinct yeah. now. You know, di- yeah. you think about dinosaur. Well, what, what's yeah. the plant life? done in that time there must have been species that either evolved or died out depending on as the world's changed and yeah. all sorts of things so yeah but we need to get an expert on we do to talk to us about these things i think any yeah. paleontologist types oh yes i mean i guess you don't have to specifically be a paleontologist but we'd like <laughs> to ask you about dinosaurs as well as plants yeah. so that yeah. would be helpful yeah and and also i'd really like to know if any of our listeners have found anything unusual in yes. their gardens yeah like please tell us if you have because we love discussing these things yes <laughs> do contact us on socials yeah. because we want to talk about your finds yeah and yeah. i think we did have that reader i'm sure it was a reader that contacted us maybe quite a few years ago that had said that she'd lost her wedding ring (gasps) and then she pulled a carrot root up and the carrot had like grown through her wedding ring and like she managed brilliant i'd be like wow what are the chances of that yeah yeah so cool yeah so yeah yeah Yeah. i'm sure there are there must be people that have either lost things and found them again or discovered something really interesting in their garden did you do i mean i know that you two are couple of years younger than me but um <laughs> did um you ever do the like time capsule things at school yeah like I remember yeah. when it was going to be the millennium and it was all on uh, like blue peter and everything and then ev- like all schools and things and I guess brownie packs and 
that all did like time capsules that you'd bury and then dig up and at the time it was like oh my god dig this up 10 years later and the world's gonna I don't know if we thought we were all gonna be on hoverboards <laughs> or flying cars <laughs> um but yeah it's so funny to think that there will be things now that don't seem like anything to us that in the future people might dig up and be like this is crazy yeah yeah the iphone 4 <laughs> <laughs> my old artifact of a phone <laughs> the iPhone 4. <laughs> yeah that'd, that'd be a relic that would be amazing yeah i mean the way that apple technology moves that would be a relic in five years i remember the days when i thought the iphone 3g was the best thing on the planet oh, like oh yeah. you get you get a friend that gets that phone yeah. and you're all jealous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet this is a gardening podcast not a tech one and yeah. the irony being we're not the, we're not the best tech heads no <laughs> no certainly not but yeah Oh, that's so interesting. I love talking about weird things people have dug up in their garden. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite subject. <laughs> it is now. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, I'll get let you, you guys get back to it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go through some jobs on the plot. Lovely. We're going to get digging over whatever bit of ground we can find. Let's see what we can find. Jerusalem artichokes should be cut back to ground level now. If you decided that you don't want to grow them next year, carefully remove the tubers from the ground. Clear your plot and make sure you are disposing of all matter in the appropriate way, especially ensuring that diseased foliage is destroyed to prevent issues from returning. Get some new sowings underway and start broad beans for overwintering in more mild regions this month. Any unruly cranberry bushes should be trimmed now. Remember to always use sharp tools and make clean cuts in order to avoid damaging the plant. Have a productive week on the plot. And until next time, happy growing. Thank you for listening to this series of The Dirt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for free so you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the word to your plot neighbours. Plus, we have an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for listeners of The Dirt. All you need to do is visit growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash GYO52, that's G-Y-O and the number 52, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GYO52 to receive three issues for just £5. That's a saving of a whopping 76%. Every issue of Grow Your Own is packed with gardening advice, expert tips and tricks and jobs to tick off your list. And each magazine comes with a wonderful bonus gift such as selections of seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, remember to get in touch if you or any of your gardening friends have some great stories of successes and fails on the plot. You could be a guest on the next series.